I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome, everyone, to the Playing Footsie Halloween special. I'm Steve W, and I'm here today as Anubis the Jackal, the Egyptian god of the underworld and death and mummification and all that kind of thing. Paul's not here this week, so I'm doing the intro. Uh, but happily, the brains of the operation for Playing Footsie is here. Here he is. Well, I put a lot less effort into this, and I am a chimp from the Wall Street Bets uh, subreddit. <laughs> Hi, Steve. How are you? Uh, yeah, I've been better. It's a very hot mask, and it's 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 rather uncomfortable. And I sincerely hope we'll be doing the next sort of fifty minutes without them on. Yeah, my mask is also very tight, so I'm going to wriggle out of mine whilst I say, uh, "How's your week been? How's your week been in stocks?" I should point out for anyone listening. We're recording this on a Monday, and we recorded the last one on Thursday, so it's actually only been a weekend or so for, for Steve to report on. But how was your weekend? Um, yeah, not too bad. Um, to be fair, the only thing you can really watch on a weekend is uh, a little bit of crypto, and that's been nice and uh, nice and quiet, really. It's had a quiet week. It's had a very interesting Monday, a uh, nice big jump, along with quite a lot of my portfolio as well. So uh, it's probably worth pointing out that we don't have any poll this week, because... Uh, He's poorly, um, and he, he, if you didn't hear him sort of coughing and wheezing all the way through the last episode, um, then you uh, you weren't listening hard enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm going to pass back to you, Steve, because I'm going to take this mask off. Yep, okay, please don't switch off, everyone, uh, just because Paul's not here. We're still here. We've still got plenty of stuff to talk about, even though it's been a short weekend. Uh, we've got some earnings reports. We've got some news from Johnson & Johnson. Uh, and we've got some news from another big healthcare company, but we're going to start off with this week's game. The fact that Paul's not here, we refuse to allow this to put us off. Uh, I've got the game this week. Uh, Steve will be playing in one-player mode, so feel free to play along against him at home. He'll be tackling um, more questions than he normally would in our standard 1-10 to format. Um, but to be honest, uh, this should come with a bit of an apology. It feels like last week we really peaked with WhoTube. Uh, both at the level of production, which Steve worked really hard to put together afterwards because there were some technical issues with all of the sound bites from what I understand of it. Uh, And in terms of the content of the game, which was really, really excellent and super, super fun. Uh, This is neither an excellent game nor uh, particularly (laughs) carefully thought out. But um, there's a Halloween twist to it, at least. Uh, But here we go. This week, I present to you the game called Bristol Myers Squid Game. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> I love uh, it already. Great. Um, so Bristol Myers Squid Game works like this. I have a series of one to ten questions all about Bristol Myers Squid. Um, okay. This is fair, of course, because Steve, Paul, and I all own this. We all have an opportunity to know plenty about it. It's a biggish holding for all of us. We talk about it quite a bit. Um, but there's a special Halloween trick or treat twist here, uh, Steve. So first of all, you'll pick a number, and then you can choose whether you would like the trick version. Or the treat version. Um, Because I couldn't be bothered to think of that many questions over a weekend to make a harder one for each of them, um, what I've got is multiple choice out of two if you choose the treat version and multiple choice out of four if you choose the trick version. However, if you choose the trick version, you can have two points for getting it right uh, rather than 
the standard one for getting it right on a treat version. So, Steve, uh, pick a number for me. Uh, it, it would be bad of me to start with anything other than lucky number seven. Predictably, Steve has gone for lucky number seven. Okay, Steve, um, number seven is about geography. Would you like the trick question or the treat question? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, I, I did geography at school, but school was an awful long time ago. So let's let's be let's play it smart and go for trick. Okay, <laughs> here we go. The trick question for Steve C about Bristol Myers Squibb and you playing along at home. Uh, where in which U.S. state is the Bristol Myers Squibb headquarters, Steve? Your choice of four uh, <sighs> includes California, Massachusetts, New York, or South Dakota. You know, in my head, straight away. Before you even read them out, it was New York, but I, can't, I don't know if that's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. So I'm going to stick with it because that was in my head beforehand and I'm sure I've seen that. So I'm going to go with New York. New York, says Steve. And he thinks he knew that before I said anything at all. You are correct, Steve, for two points. Well Thank done. God for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, there were two that were unlikely in there in California and South Dakota. I went for Massachusetts mm -hmm. sort of near all those universities and research labs and stuff to try and put you off a little bit. Uh, but well, well done. Yeah, they yeah. are based out of New York. Pleased with that? I'm very happy with that. <laughs> very, very happy with that, yes, because uh, that, that's peaked now, because basically I can call all the wrong answers and go, and that was the end of the game. <laughs> Two points. Thank you very much. Yep. <laughs> Over to Paul by... Oh, no, he's not here. Uh, okay. Um, Steve, pick another number. If you want to kind of channel Paul's inner self, pick seven again. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> In the spirit of Paul, I'll have number seven. Please. Number seven, excellent. <laughs> uh, I'll have ten. Okay, uh, number ten, uh, trick version or treat version, this one is about analysts. Oh, well, I'll try and keep it simple for myself, I will go for treat. Okay, you have a choice of two answers here. There are, according to the Wall Street Journal, 20 analysts covering Bristol Myers Squibb. Um, how many of those 20 have a buy rating on the stock when I looked this morning? Uh, so you can choose between 11 of them and 15 of them. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is probably pretty positive. I mean, I like to think that it would be more towards the 15 than the 11, but I'm just thinking there's a lot of hold ratings around at the moment. But I'm, I'm going to go with 15. I have a feeling it's going to be quite positive. Hmm. Not this time. <coughs> No, it's 11 this time. Um, I was going to ah. offer you alternative options of uh, 9 and 18, um, which probably wouldn't have convinced you either way, so I suspect the two-pointer wouldn't have been much harder there. Hmm. But yeah, 11 buys, a bunch of holds. No one's got a sell on it at the moment, from what I can see of it, or from those Fair 20 enough. that uh, WSJ have covered. Uh, how did you go at home? Hmm. Okay, uh, what do you think, Steve? Another number? Number one. Number one is my favourite one. It's the one that makes me think of you. Uh... <laughs> It's the market cap question, Steve. Uh, oh, <laughs> would you like the trick one or the treat one? Trick. Okay. Uh, which of the following four has the biggest market cap then, Steve? Uh, Bristol Myers Squibb. Uh, similar company, Eli Lilly. Similar company, Merck. Or similar company somewhere else in the world, Sanofi. Well, this is tricky. Hmm. Um, so I think I've got an idea of where Squibb is. Eli Lilly, I don't know where that is. Although part of me thinks it'd probably be very similar. Um, Sanofi as well, I think, is a bit bigger. So it was Merck, the other one. Yes. 
I think it's got to be Mech. I think Mech's the biggest out of them off the top of my head. Although I'm, I'm torn between Mech and Sanofi, but I think it's Mech. That is interesting. Uh, it's not right. Um, if I offered you the kind of treat version, uh, you would have had a choice between Bristol Myers and Eli Lilly. Uh, what would you have gone for there? <laughs> Who was in the treat version? Uh, Bristol Myers and Eli Lilly. See, I, I just don't know Eli Lilly at all, so I would have said Squib probably, but I assume that's why I'm wrong. It is. Eli's the biggest of them all. Um, right, okay. Bigger than Merck and bigger than Sanofi as well. Uh, I was Something I've never looked at. I've never looked at Eli Lilly. We don't talk about it much on this pod. Uh, it doesn't tend no. to show up for me much on kind of undervalued flag stuff, where Merck does and mm. Gilead does and Biogen does and some other things like that mm. all tend to, but we don't really cover much on Eli Lilly there, even though it's a, a similar sort of company to... Um, these two. Bristol Myers, 128 billion. When I looked, Eli Lilly, 231. Uh, Merck, 205. Sanofi, 123. Ah, there you go. I thought um, I thought Sanofi was uh, a bit bigger than that, to be fair. Mm. I thought it was a bit closer. Out of interest, would you have been anywhere near with the Bristol Myers market cap? What was it? 128. I was going to say, well, I, in my head I had it was 120-ish. Um, but I thought maybe it uh, maybe it lost a little bit. That's not bad. That's pretty close in that case. No, alas, I thought I'd give you a comparative one. No, when you when you said market caps, I thought you were in for it here, because if he says anything around 120, I'm in. <laughs> uh, bad luck. Um, another number. You're on two so Three. far. Three. Um, oh, this is a nice one that every Bristol Myers Squibb uh, owner should know, and you probably don't, and I did not before um, the uh, before I went and looked this up. This is a history round, Steve. Uh, trick okay. or treat? Treat. Uh, 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 <laughs> treat. Okay. Um, what year did Bristol Myers and Squib merge to form Bristol Myers Squib? Uh, <laughs> here are your choices, Steve. Um, 1989 or 1994? Yeah, with no, with no real, uh, nothing really to go on. I'll go with 94. Unlucky. Mm, <laughs> it was in fact 1989 uh, the merger of do you remember when I said it at the beginning I'll cut all these out so I look and just get two points I'm right on track yep hopefully you're all doing better at Bristol Myers Squid Game than uh, Steve is at the moment <laughs> although to be fair you've had what have you had four questions and you're on two points that's that's about par for one of our games to be honest and I think to be honest you've picked the harder well, ones to be fair um, when we uh in Squid Game, I would have got through the first one, but I'd be dead by now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would be. I was trying to work out a way of kind of building in some sort of hidden twist thingy, but it doesn't work that well <laughs> right, when yeah. there's only one of you. And um... is that my is that my wife's just cleaning that gun? <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're through the um... worst of the questions, if I'm honest. Um, but oh, okay, that's uh, positive. I, I don't know. See so, how you go. What else you got? Number wise. two. Two. Okay, this is um, inspired by you, again. Uh, following on from the game It's Gross, uh, which was one of your creations, I think, three weeks ago, maybe, uh, when it transpired okay. that Paul and I don't know the gross margin of anything at all. Um, how about which of these has the biggest gross margin? Uh, you can choose between some different pharma companies this time. You have Abbott Labs, which is another one we never talk about. Uh, Bristol Myers, because that's the name of this game. Uh, Pfizer, which we have talked about some of the time, and Roche. 
Oh, that is a tricky one, but I think I think you could, in my head, you can safely discount Abbott because they have quite a bit of actual physical manufacturing. So in my head, that tends to be lower margin. So I'm thinking that's probably my fault. I didn't um, ask you whether you wanted the trick or treat version. To be honest, I assume you're going well, for I'm the ha- trick version since you've heard all. It four sounds of like them now. yeah. It sounds like I'm having yeah. It sounds like I'm having trick. Um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so Abbott, yeah, but it's funny because if it's at the beginning, that tends to mean it's part of the treat. Or have you read them in a nice order for me? Have you? So I've written them alphabetically, and on my page here, I've got two highlighted that are the treat too. Okay. Yeah, so Abbott has manufacturing. I think, I think Squibb's got really high margins on stuff at the moment, but it's just whether it's higher than the others. Mm. I know Squibb's Squibb's margin is in the mid eighties, off the top of my head. Um. Gross margin, it was, wasn't it? Yep. Oh, let, let's go for it. That's a really high gross margin. Let's go for Squib. Uh, you are right, Steve. Get in! Have yourself two points. Two questions, two right. Um, <laughs> Abbott was not part of the treat options, for what it's worth. <laughs> um, yeah, Abbott and Roche say. were the two I was going to leave out. I was going to leave you Bristol Myers and Pfizer. Uh, Abbott's is only about 55.7. Bristol Myers, I've got written down as... Uh, 76 from uh, Morning Star. Yeah, this could be right, yeah. Uh, Pfizer, 71, and Roche, 71 as well. Um, mm. So, yeah, well done. Uh, you're on You're on four points and five questions. This is very good so far. Nine. Nine. Mm. Okay. Uh, this is <laughs> This is because I wrote this quiz. This round is about Berkshire Hathaway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> trick or treat? Uh, let's, let's just go trick. Okay. Um, on their last 13F, which covered Q2 uh, of this uh, calendar year, how many? Uh, which of these is closest to the number that, of uh, Bristol-Myers shares that Berkshire Hathaway owned? The actual number isn't a round number, but which of these is closest? Uh, 18 mm. million, 26 million, 35 million, or 42 million? As you can oh. see, these numbers are just going up. There is no hint about which ones is the treat or anything. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, let's just let's just go for B, whatever B was. <laughs> B was twenty six. <laughs> B was twenty six million. You want to go for twenty six million? It sounds right. <laughs> you are correct, Steve. Knew it all along. Uh, just playing you. Welcome to welcome to <laughs> Steve's new favourite game, everybody. <laughs> it's B. Yep, they have been selling uh, some of these recently, actually. They've sold in their last uh, hmm. quarter or so, along with several other kind of pharmaceutical companies, but they still have, you know, significantly more shares than you, me, and Paul put together, um, which is... So, I mean, I got there by just timesing all the numbers by 50 and seeing if that sounded just sort of the sort of size of position Berkshire would have in it. That's how I got there. I like uh, it. It's not the best maths ever. It worked. That's a good way of doing it. I mean, there was a point where I was thinking about questions for this. I didn't go for this, but I was going to ask you about the number of shares outstanding, which is, of course, just the market cap over the share price and see whether you or Paul mm. fancy trying to do that calculation while we were recording. No. <laughs> so if you can take $128 billion and divide it by 50 to get somewhere near it. But... Yeah, not on the fly. Uh, number eight. Number eight. You definitely know the answer to this question, Steve. It's a question about the CEO. What's his name? Uh, do you want to do it without the options? It is what's his name. Uh, well, it's Giovanni Caforio. Hey, you have a bonus point for that one, Steve. Yes, you are correct. Yes. Uh, I was going to offer you Paul Hudson, Giovanni Caforio, uh, Michel Vernatsos, and Severin Schwan. 
Um, I was also hoping that Paul might get this question, not you. But <laughs> <laughs> I think Paul Hudson's my local weatherman. Yeah, in in his spare time, uh, he's also the CEO of Sanofi. Yeah, is he? Yeah, Michelle Bonatzos. <laughs> any ideas on that one? No, Biogen. Don't know her. Um, okay. And Severin Schwann. I assume that's Pfizer, is it? No, but I can see why you've gone that way. It's sort of Germanic sounding name, so think geographically that way a bit. Yeah. Who is it? Roche. Ah, Roche. Okay, Swiss. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's three left. One that's easy, one that's hard, <coughs> and one that's in the middle. Uh, Which one's the hard one? The hard one is six. I'll have six. Would you prefer the trick version or the treat version? I don't know. I'll have the trick version. Okay. <laughs> what was the first name of Dr. Squibb? Uh, who founded Squib, which subsequently merged with Bristol Myers to form Bristol Myers Squib? <laughs> was it Edward? Was it Humphrey? Was it Theodore? Or was it Zachary? <laughs> the the <laughs> I was hoping it'd rhyme with Squib just to make me giggle a little bit. Um, uh, I mean, they all sound plausible in that they all sound... They're all implausible. names, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are names, yes. Um, There's Americans with all those names. What other deductions can you make? Is Squib an American name? Hmm. Or if his I, first name was Damp? Let's go with Humphrey. Although it doesn't sound right when I'm saying it, but that's what I'm going to go with. Okay, so this is a horrible question, because I didn't think either you or Paul would know this, but, you know, most of us don't know the answer to most of these questions in these games, and occasionally we swing wildly mm. and get one right. If I told you Humphrey's not right for the moment... Okay. Uh, I will give you a chance to have um, a, the treat question, which is between Edward and Theodore. You can have a point for this one. I see, Theodore is a pretty traditional American name, isn't it? But. Mm. Ah, Edward, how I would go with... You'd go with Edward? Yeah. Point to Steve D. I'm taking it. Yep. Well done <laughs> if you got that one right at home, either before or after uh, most of the options were eliminated. That was hard. That was very hard, was but hard. it's a fun Bristol Myers Squid Game question. Um, <laughs> okay, four and five are left, Steve. Five. Five. I know you know the answer to this question, Steve. Uh, Bristol Myers acquired Celgene uh, in 2019, I think. Um, and yep. I'd like to know the price they paid for that, by which I mean the price including the uh, CVRs, which subsequently lapsed. So the kind of price okay. at the time. Uh, trick version or treat version? And I'll take that as a trick version. Okay, 45 billion, 52 billion, 63 billion, or 74 billion dollars? Well, I was, think I was thinking 72 in my head. Um, billion dollars before you said it, so I will obviously up that to $74 billion. Yep, Steve is dead right here. Man knows his cell gene acquisition, I would have got that right as well for what it's worth. Uh, it's more complicated yeah. if you think the CVRs get discounted back or something, I haven't worked that one out, but um, yeah. 72 billion, uh, 74 billion Sorry, was the uh, price quoted that I saw for this. That was paid in a combination of um, stock and cash, I think, in various ways, and, and uh, yeah, CVRs, yeah. of course. Uh, but yes, yeah, obviously, <laughs> pretty much. Um, more mm. on Bristol Myers acquiring later. Uh, but okay, what number does that leave, Steve? You can do this. You're good at this game. Four. Four is correct. All right then, Steve. 
Uh, four is the most ETFs uh, question. Um, okay. Trick version or treat version? Uh, let's, well, we've been very good with tricks. I think they're the only ones I've got right. So let's, <laughs> let's carry on with that. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. And you didn't get the one about Squibb's first name, but okay. Um, which of these appears <laughs> in the most ETFs then, according to ETF.com when I checked this morning? Um, hero of our podcast, Bristol Myers Squibb. Um, fancy, uh, fancy industrial unit Honeywell. Uh, dog tech company IBM. Uh, or... Uh, plant-based meat growth vehicle Kellogg. <laughs> I mean, how close is this? Is this close? Uh, define close. I think it's reasonably close. But then, yeah, I was just gonna say a lot of these would make quite a few different ETFs, wouldn't they? In my head, um, absolutely. I'm just trying to think if Honeywell probably bridges the most gaps, or whether whether any of the others do. Um. I mean, I really want to go for Squib, but I just don't think it is Squib. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Honeywell because for some reason I just think it bridges the most, the most kind of gaps. I think it probably does the most things. Tell me more of these gaps that you speak of. No, I was just thinking Honeywell is classed as a, an industrial. It has a quantum computing arm. It has a manufacturing arm. I would assume that people would probably tag it as a value stock. It's a Dow stock as well, isn't it? Um, Honeywell, I think. Yes, it is. It is. It's one of the more recent. It's a Dow stocks. Yeah, well done. It is. Yeah. So and and uh, obviously S and P. So uh, that's where I'm going with it. Trouble I assume I'm the... wrong. Yeah, you assume correctly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are indeed wrong. Um, but yeah, you're right. I don't think the Dow is that heavily traded uh, linked to ETFs, particularly for what it's worth. So I'm not sure that's particularly mm. helpful. Um, if I gave you the treat version, by the way. Uh, you would okay. have had a choice between Hero Bristol Myers Squibb, fairly obviously, uh, and Technology okay. Dog IBM. Oh, well, that just leaves me with probably IBM then, because of all the the dividend stuff. Yup, um, that's not right either. But that's a better way of thinking, I think, oh, than the God. stuff about the Dow. I was thinking that something like IBM. IBM is second on that list of four, by the way, that I uh, gave you, and I assume it is just jammed into a load of. Um, uh, high yield dividend, dividend king, yes. dividend yeah. arist aristocrats kind of things, yeah. That kind of thing, which is popular. But no, Bristol Myers appears in 268 ETFs, apparently, uh, including, I think it might still be an ARC holding. I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't looked recently enough. I should have probably. Mm, not sure. Uh, Honeywell in 224, IBM in 259, which is very close to 268, and Kellogg in 211, mm. uh, desperately undervalued company. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, that I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't. Uh, Squib was the one I wouldn't have in there. I thought he was trying to throw me a throw me a curveball there. But no, that's very interesting. Well done, Steve. How many points did I get? Uh, well, out of ten questions, I believe you scored twelve. Give yourself a round of applause. Uh, I'd love to. Maybe with a bit of cheering. That's enough for that. Uh, just mixed in with <laughs> that. Congratulations to anyone at home if you got more than twelve. Commiserations if you got fewer than twelve. Uh, consider yourself, feel free to write in the comments how many you got below. I guess in case anyone got 12, we should probably play the tiebreaker, Steve. Go on then, let's do it. Okay, here's the tiebreaker question. Bristol Myers Squibb, of course, is owned by you, me, and Paul, all of us here. Um, so I had a look at my portfolio this morning. I had a look at Paul's most recent video. Uh, and I asked you earlier um, how many shares you owned at Bristol Myers Squibb. I wondered why you were asking me. But I also gave you the wrong answer. Oh. But I will go on the answer I gave you. Right, okay. Um, I won't say, by the way, at the end of this who owns how many of these. 
But how many shares do you think we own if you add your holdings, my holdings and Paul's together, assuming that what I saw in Paul's last video is still correct and assuming that what you told me, which is not true, is in fact true? Did I did I tell you 95? No. <laughs> did I tell you 90? Yes. Okay, I told you the right number. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I, I think you've got about half the holding I've got, I would say, so... Give or take. So I'm going to go with Paul having a smaller holding than that. So for one six five, that's probably the number I would go for. One six five is not a bad guess uh, for what hmm. it's worth. Uh, write down your guess below if you want to play along in the tiebreaker. Um, and I will tell you the correct answer uh, is in fact one seven six point zero two five oh seven six. Because Paul has fractionals from what I saw <laughs> most recently. Oh, uh, I have 40 and Paul has uh, the rest, basically. I said I wouldn't well, say I was one, working but... on you having 45, 90 and 30. That's what I was working on. Paul's got 46. And then when you said you think he's got a slightly smaller holding, I thought, oh, is he going to think Paul's got 40 and I've got 45? And that'll get you very, very close. Because, hmm. uh, uh, by the way, if you got it dead on, because you've seen Paul's most recent video and you thought it was going to be a weird fraction, give yourself an extra thousand points. Um, and... <laughs> And absolutely write that in the comments below as well, if you're still listening. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Steve. Cheers, Steve. No, I enjoyed that. That was good fun. It's good to sort of test my knowledge a little bit on the stuff about Squib you wouldn't bother looking at. No, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> these, are, these are the big questions we ask ourselves as investors, right? What was Squib's first name and what year did they merge and all these kinds of things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're the things I, I, I definitely missed on my research. Fair enough. Let's talk about earnings a little bit, because actually since last Thursday, there has been something interesting happen. When we went off the air last Thursday evening, Snap reported their earnings, uh, and the three of us sat chatting with uh, recording off, but our cameras and mics and stuff on to each other. Uh, and we were talking about Snap and seeing some interesting action kind of coming down on that. Steve, did you do you have an account of what happened or shall I put that out there to start with? If you've got the numbers, that would be great because I don't have the numbers in front of me. So here comes Snap's earnings news. Uh, Snap's EPS uh, was 17 cents versus an estimate of 8 cents. So that's a very handy beat. Uh, their revenue came in at 1.07 versus 1.1, which is still pretty strong. Uh, uh, it's a slight miss, but it's pretty much close to. Their daily active users uh, was 306 million, guiding for 301. So again, pretty much on the mark, slightly over. Uh, and their ARPU, our favourite stat, uh, was 3.49 versus 3.67, uh, is what I've got written here. And then their stock went down. And their stock went down quite a bit. It went down about 25% overnight, uh, overnight, opened on Friday a bit lower. It's down another 1% today in Monday trading. Uh, Steve, what the hell is going on here? It's strange, really. And it's not just that it's... Uh, it's it... It's dumped itself. It's lost 25%. It's that it's taken a lot of other things with it as well. It's taken uh, Twitter, Facebook, and, and I know that people are saying Pinterest as well, but I don't think Pinterest is quite as quite as related. The reason why it's dropped so much is that revenue wasn't hit. And um, revenue not hitting expectations. Now, it's always funny because it's revenue is not hitting expectations that wasn't set by the company. Um, but not hitting that just shows that there could perhaps be a little bit of weakness in the uh, in, in in advertising at the moment. And obviously, if there's weakness hitting Snap, and Snap is, uh, you know, it's 13 to 24. It's pretty much a very, very sort of, uh, that is age, by the way. That's a very sort of heavy uh, uh, marketed to audience. It would show that there is broader weakness in the advertising space itself. 
So um, I had a look through their um, earnings report. And I've just pulled a couple of stats. Um, so excuse me for reading a little bit, but um, US, UK, France, Australia, and Netherlands, 90% of 13 to 24s use Snapchat. I thought that was kind of a crazy statistic. Um, 75 to 13 to 34, so I had another 10 years on, prefers to use Snapchat. So that's a fairly, they're fairly crazy uh, statistics, really, for that kind of area. And to see that they're sort of daily active users of um, 316 to 318 million, which is up 20% from the quarter before. Bear in mind, everybody was sat at home, you know, in that quarter, you know, pretty much locked down. That that uh, user growth is, is really there. And just as a side note, to see um, the ARPU up in nearly $4, $4 is, is quite impressive when you think, our whole thesis on Pinterest is based on that ARPU being very low to, to growing, you know, growing to a little bit more. Snapchat showing you that, you know, you can definitely, you can definitely begin to grow that ARPU out. And, it, you know, it's not just Facebook who will earn a hell of a lot of money from each user. There's there's a lot of business out there to be uh, to be taken in. The other sort of key thing in the end is that was, um, that was worth looking at is, is profitability. There's um, a definite sign that Snap is very, very much on its way to being a sustainable business. Um so yeah, I thought it was quite quite impressive, and probably didn't deserve the fall um, that it got. It seems difficult to see how it would deserve the fall that it got. Sort of twenty five percent from a, a sort of near miss. I mean, it's on big multiples at the moment, but that's the case of a lot of things. And we often say when you're up there on big multiples, you, there is pressure to kind of make that count and put out the growth that people are looking for. What I saw was that Facebook was down and Twitter was down, kind of in sympathy um, here, and I understood this to be the product of a kind of larger external force going on here, which was um, Apple's new privacy policy uh, getting in the mm -hmm. way of things a little bit. So they're, um, they've got they've got their ATT app tracking transparency uh, thing on iPhones now, as I understand it. I'm not an iPhone user, but as I understand it, they're getting people to opt in to having their data uh, shared with uh, Facebook or Snap or Twitter or whoever. And it gives people an opportunity to not do that if you don't want... Um, various companies having your data and knowing what your kind of likes and dislikes are. And as I understand it, that's a big draw for somewhere like Facebook, right? When we consider Facebook as an advertising platform or even Snap as an advertising platform rather than traditional television or uh, media or radio or anything like that, one of the nice things about those is you can target your ads to the people you know are interested in them and you can see how they're responding uh, and you can get much, much, much better metrics. And it looks like Apple, in the name of privacy, and privacy has been a big thing for Apple that they've talked quite loudly about and taken a few shots at other companies who they consider to be less enthusiastic about it. Do you think that's in danger of knocking value to advertisers or out of some of these social media companies? Well, I think it's a double whammy. So I think what you've said is exactly... Um is exactly a good enough reason to shake advertisers, um, you know, shake them out of a standard traditional advertising routine. The other thing that you, you've got to sort of bear in mind is that you, you've got a very weak supply chain globally at the moment. There's a lot of companies that are bringing forward all of their Christmas sales to try and sort of gauge interest and also to sort of spread demand out up until Christmas because they don't think the, the supply chain will cope. Um, with the demands of a big hit, so if you spread the hit out over three months, there's more chance that there's a bit of flexibility in the supply chain and you can meet demand. The interesting point, um, the interesting thing about that, I suppose, is that that would also tailor to sort of um, weaker advertising sales because you don't really want to be pushing demand for a product that you're not certain that you will have on the shelves. So it, it's twofold, really. I think the 
privacy is what is being blamed, but I think it's a little bit above, if that makes sense. That's interesting. I, I find that a, a kind of interesting take. So I'm interested in the kind of privacy and the way it might kind of knock on in various other areas in social media. Facebook is reporting, I think, tonight. Uh, we're recording on Monday. I think they're after the bell today. And lots of the big tech yep. are coming out this time. It will be really interesting to see how Facebook goes. Obviously, it's had a bit of a fall lately with their whistleblower. Um, I believe it's testifying or was testifying today in um, for UK uh, lawmakers. Mm. So it'll be really interesting to see how their earnings go. I'm also interested in how this kind of knocks on to other social media platforms across the board, perhaps including uh, the company we talked about on the last podcast, which is Pinterest. Um, that's also had an interesting bit of kind of um, price action lately, and it feels like that kind of nicely ties up a little bit with uh, the sort of stuff we're talking about here. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, PayPal had was being rumoured uh, to be having a buy at Pinterest, I think, at around $45 billion or so uh, at a takeover price. Takeout price at around $70, mm -hmm. which had sent Pinterest stock up to pretty close to that. Uh, today, things are looking slightly different. The shares are trading down at around, well, back through 55 when I looked back below that again. Um, what's been going on there? Yeah, so essentially PayPal have come out and said, um, you know, it's, none of that's true, <laughs> which is essentially uh, what Pinterest has fallen all the way back to just about where it was before the uh, the PayPal the, the PayPal deal cropped up. So I don't think there's anything. Uh, I, I spoke to somebody about this in the Discord today. I don't think there's anything particularly to be um, upset about. Thesis here has not changed. The only thing really to look out for is if this story originated from inside of Pinterest or uh, was leaked by say you know, the CEO trying to attract a suitor, that's a different story because we're talking about a founder-led company or at least it was a, a two-founder-led company. Uh, one of them has already left. And if the other one is already thinking, you know, hey, running a public company in the spotlight is too difficult, um, you know, I, I want out. And who wouldn't when you've got the prospect of, you know, a few billion pound hitting your pocket uh, after tax as well? Um, you know, you wouldn't blame him for, you know, if, if the spark isn't there anymore. So the problem is, is that often these sorts of companies fall into the wrong hands after being in founder, founder hands. It's, it's sometimes it's, uh, it's quite tricky to, uh, get a successor who cares about it as much as you do. And especially somebody who, you know, <clears throat> is so incentivized to make good decisions. Obviously, if you make a bad decision and you're the founder of a company who owns 40% of it, the share price plummets, that hurts your pocket more than anybody else. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a tricky sort of situation at the moment. Now, Pinterest aren't um, Ben Silverman isn't making any uh, any kind of public statements to say he wants help, but it just feels a little bit the time it was all a bit weird. And uh, Bloomberg were pretty convinced, and they're not often wrong about these things. Normally, they just they just kind of say, yeah, maybe maybe you didn't want it now, but in time, uh, some of that will come to light. I think that's interesting. I mean, I spent part of my weekend listening to various um stocks and finance related podcasts because i had some time available and one of them was friday's industry focus from the motley fool when they were talking about paypal and the pinterest takeover and there were various interesting things from brian feroldi and dylan lewis there always are it's a really good podcast i recommend people have a listen to it if they're interested uh, i agree with some of the stuff they say i don't agree with some of the other stuff they say but one of the points they seem to say quite confidently is that with a rumour of this size, uh, by which I mean an acquisition of this size, not with this much kind of drive behind the rumour, it makes it very likely that it's true. 
Um, <laughs> which uh, seems to not be the case uh, for now. PayPal have said that uh, the quote is, it is not pursuing an acquisition of Pinterest at this time. Uh, make of that what you will. Make of the at this time bit what you will. Uh, make yeah. of it the not pursuing bit uh, what you will. But PayPal have very much poured the cold water on this. Um, various people had various different kind of uh, opinions here. Asset Sharma was saying he was a little bit disappointed by this kind of thing. Um, a lot of people own both PayPal and uh, Pinterest, actually. And Steve, you own Pinterest only, I think, out of these two. That's right, yep. Yeah, uh, I own neither. You are seeing the synergies here uh, between PayPal and Pinterest. And if we sort of leave aside the potential of, uh, I thought this was actually a reasonably smartly priced deal because Pinterest stock had been down a fair way over the last year or so. It's now back roughly where it was uh, last October, so this time last year, when I had a look, it's down at 51. Are you disappointed? Uh, no, not really. Um, just for me, thesis hasn't changed. Um, I-, I would much prefer Pinterest to be left alone to um, to crack on crack on with its mission really um the issue you have with acquisitions acquisitions of this size is they very rarely work um most of the time they end up with huge write downs on the balance sheet because they've realized the assets are not worth it or they've not been able to realize the value of the assets um and you have a sense that paypal don't have an awful lot of expertise in this area um whereas i thought that they could probably take it and run with it it depends on how the staff the head, the sort of head head staff at Pinterest would have wanted to continue because at the moment there must be an element of sort of like freedom to the uh, the way they run the business. And would you really want to say, okay, yeah, we don't want that freedom anymore. Somebody's gonna now tell me how we're gonna run this business. And you sense that that wouldn't have been the same sort of um, it's it's everything. It's the same with everything, isn't it? So when you break down the um, what's the word for it? When you break down the company culture. Uh, you change something in culture, there's always somebody who sees it as negative. I mean, you even see it when somebody changes the way an app looks. There's half the people who say, oh, yeah, that looks great. And there's the other half who go, you, you're, that's disgusting. It's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And then, you know, a few months down the line, some people leave, some people stay. And it's it's a strange old thing. But, yeah, that's my issue with Pinterest is that it's a, it's in a delicate balance at the moment. It's it's pushing through to profitability. It's it's slowing down on its daily active users, which means that it, uh, adding them, obviously, which means it has to then focus on monetizing them. So it's in a really interesting situation at the moment where you could see quite massive growth in top and bottom line. Um, and anything at the moment to upset that balance is is a bit tricky for me. I'm not, not entirely sure where I'd want to, where what side of the fence I'd want to be on. No, I can see it slowing down a little bit. But I mean, if we think about over the last year or so, obviously, it's had a a big kind of pandemic fueled year. And there's been a decent amount of kind of pull forward in terms of uh, users and uh, active users. And to an extent, ARPA has gone up as well. And that's been largely pandemic fueled. The share price is back where it was about a year ago. But now it's had sort of four more quarters or so to prove itself one way or another, especially after today. It's come back down to where it was and then gone a little bit further. I wonder whether that's connected to the sort of sympathy fall from um, Facebook, Twitter and so on, uh, based on whatever kind of whatever you think is causing that, whether you think it's Apple's privacy or whether you think it's something else. I wonder whether that's a kind of sympathy slip on top of the um, reset from the PayPal deal falling through. Uh, I guess then. We're a kind of year on. Uh, the share price has, in effect, gone nowhere uh, from a year ago. Better by now than it was a year ago? Or less so with the growth behind it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a better buy today, but you've got to understand the thesis and the problems that it faces at the moment. So if we think that we're going to see um, a slowdown in advertising and a slowdown in marketing spend or, or that a smaller amount of money is going to be spread out over a longer period of time, um, the first thing that these companies will do is will stop experimenting with the marketing. So they'll bring marketing back to places that they know that works, which is usually TV and it's usually things like Facebook or Google. They'll stop they'll stop pushing, you know, trying out Pinterest or trying out Snapchat. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing at the moment with Snapchat's results. So Pinterest is an interesting one. It's got to be something that you're prepared to sit on for 10 years because you might have to for the thesis to play out. Um, we, we, we would probably all acknowledge it's quite richly valued at the moment, but the growth story and the precedent is there. It's just whether or not you believe that, you know, it's it, it can treading that well-worn path or at some point something's just going to come along and uh, and and beat it up and take its lunch so i think pinterest is a good buy i think um i believe that the apu story is something that they can definitely grow out even if you're just looking at snaps apu um in european countries there is there is a you know somebody just ahead of them on the well-worn path um, facebook is so far ahead it's it's unbelievable but it'd be interesting to see um what they do and and i'm happy to just sit and watch it and um somebody somebody said oh are we bag holders now and you're like, well that tends to happen in growth stocks and you can be bag holders for a couple of years and then all of a sudden uh they rock it off and you never have to you never consider yourself a bag holder again and that's generally how i feel about pinterest it's been a 90 dollars stock before it'll be a 90 dollars stock again in my head yeah, nothing wrong with being a bag holder. I've been a bag holder the times I've attempted to dabble my way into growth investing. I'm currently holding a bag that says Boston Beer on it. Um, uh, that's down about, well, it sort of varies a little bit between sort of 18 and 16%. It had a horrible earnings quarter, but um, they have a decent chance to right that ship. I suspect the worst news is now behind them one way or another, even if hard seltzers aren't the kind of massive growth engine that I thought they might be. Uh, or rather they thought they might be, I guess. Uh, and I doubt very much that Alcoholic Mountain Dew is the answer to any question concerning how a business is going to grow. But um, bag holding works for a time. I mean, these are good companies in both cases, I think. Pinterest, I'm not actually on. Uh, are you on that, Steve? I'm not on it. No, I have used it through when I used to do marketing. Um, I have used it quite a bit. It's a very positive platform. It's basically Instagram without the body shaming. I was going to say, so it's it's not a place that sort of contributes to people feeling terrible about themselves, specifically kind of vulnerable teenagers or anything like that. It's specifically the opposite. Um, the whole idea behind it was that it was supposed to be a place for positivity. So that it is quite a, a breath of fresh air to be on there. The only problem I had when I was on there is that there wasn't uh, an awful lot of content from, from the UK and Europe, but... Uh, from now looking at their daily active users obviously that is increasing um my wife uses pinterest all the time um because now it's in conjunction with etsy so when you list a product on etsy they say to you um they basically give you an option to push it on pinterest as well as sort of a, a as a sort of targeted advertisement it drops it in all to the uh, in in all the other feeds that's one of the really good things that pinterest does is it would display an advert in the same way it'll display content so that you don't actually know you're always looking at an advert and it's and it's sort of prettified in a way that you is that a word <laughs> beautified i think i prefer beautified it's an interesting thing i mean it's a strange one it might not be a word but i still know what it means which is a strange yeah. thing for something that's not a word so, 
<laughs> so yeah, it just fits in really nice. And I think that's one of the things about that we hate about adverts is that they're so obstructive. And YouTube adverts and they flash up and it's that Greg Secker guy walking around with his broken arm. And you're like, do you get that guy? Or is that just me? I'm not sure it's just you, but I think we have to, uh, the YouTube algo takes us in different directions, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, and that's that's what I'm saying. So adverts can be so obstructive, and, and, you know, I don't think anybody really likes being advertised to, but Pinterest does it in a way that just doesn't make you hate it. I mainly seem to get eToro and Plus500 uh, advertising to me on YouTube, which I suppose is kind of plausible, right? Uh, it probably mm. makes good sense of the kind of things that I watch. Um, but, yeah, I also sort of don't hate – I hate some adverts more than others, I guess – uh mm -hmm. i'll be honest facebook doesn't really wind me up that much i've tried to get off that platform as i mentioned before with little to no success and i still use whatsapp as my kind of messaging thing even though i really ought to use signal probably um mm. but interesting times for pinterest then i guess maybe that's one we can keep an eye on a little bit are you are you thinking of buying any more of it i mean it's now cheaper than it was when you bought it before probably I had a price tag it set at $45, and I've had it set mm. for a really long time. And I'm not sure why I had it set, and I haven't got any notes as to why I've set it. So it might be one of those, if it gets to that kind of price, have another look at it kind of price targets. Um, but I, I nearly bought some today. When it when it dropped under 50 I think it went to 40, $49.40 or something like that. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pick some of that up. And then I saw that price tag at 45 and I thought, well, there's no need to jump the gun here. I've got quite a decent holding of Pinterest as it is. Um, so I'll wait for 45 and if 45 doesn't come, then that'll also be good for me. So, um, yeah, so I've, I've not done anything at the moment other than sort of stare at it and wonder. Staring at it and wondering is not always the worst thing to do. Um, as you say, anything that's kind of where it was a year ago with better earnings is, is probably a better buy than it was before. Uh, it's difficult hmm. to see how anything intrinsically much has harmed Pinterest. I'm not sure I know much about how their kind of advertising model works, but they're presumably in as good a shape as they were in before, just with a bit more power behind them now. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move ourselves forward then to the good and the bad of big healthcare uh, for the time being. Should we start with the good or the bad, Steve? Let's start with the bad. Good, I'm glad you said that. Uh, let's start then with Johnson & Johnson uh, and the news that Johnson & Johnson have been up to some interesting kind of corporate wrangling from what we can see of it. Uh, you posted this one up in our chat that we have. Uh, do you know what's been going on there, or shall I kick us off? Go on, you kick us off. Okay, so Johnson & Johnson, uh, famous for a number of things. One being a big, big dividend uh, favourite. Uh, they're a company that's been around for ages. They're uh, extremely well run, so most people think. They do an awful lot of things healthcare-wise. They're well diversified. They have a good drug roster. They make medical devices. They do plenty of other things, and they're generally a strong company. They did have one kind of blip... Uh, which is a fairly largish blip where they had 38,000 or so lawsuits coming at them because their famous baby powder um, turned out to have asbestos in it and it turns out they knew about it according to their internal kind of uh, communications and they did nothing about it and left it on the shelves. Uh, in particular, women have been picking up uh, cancer as a result of it, ovarian cancer mainly. That does primarily tend to affect women, to be fair. Um, but one thing that that means is that they've been hit with an awful lot of lawsuits coming in their direction. The news comes out now that uh, they have spun all those lawsuits out, from what I understand of it, into a separate company called LTL. Um, the separate company called LTL is, I believe, filing for bankruptcy, which makes it very difficult to reclaim any kind of money out of them, 
if you were attempting to press a lawsuit. So if you're now the kind of person who wants to press a lawsuit, you have to press it against LTL, not Johnson & Johnson. LTL doesn't have the money to pay lawsuits and will immediately go bankrupt. Johnson & Johnson, so the report we were reading, uh, lived to see another day. Their stock so far has been entirely untroubled on the month by this kind of news. It dipped into its own earnings and uh, came back up again out of them. Basically, it's up 2.5% from its earnings, which leaves it flat on the month. So that's nothing much to see there. Um, Steve, any further on this? Um, only that I've recently seen a rebuttal to it, really, as well. Um, Johnson & Johnson um, did actually... All of this is true. They have made a company and they pushed all of the liability onto it and uh i suppose the intention is to you would assume is to file for bankruptcy that is uh, a very odd quirk texas law that allows you to do that which is which is sad isn't it i think it is it is pretty sad um but it does shield johnson and johnson's assets and that you know that people can only claim the assets of the company in which they are suing so they can't claim you know you can't sue microsoft to get some part of google which i guess kind of makes sense but it's it's just very 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 sad but johnson and johnson have actually come out and said um you know that's not what we're doing they've provided the firm with two billion dollars um along with some other funds to to pay out for the, the you know the baby powder asbestos which, which is one of the craziest things you'll ever say um so yeah i think it's a it's an odd one jj has a mixed record on this kind of thing i think they're they they kind of get around being one of the most evil companies in the world people often think of nestle but i think johnson and johnson is right up there um especially if they did know about this although you know we 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 could never say for certain uh, which way it is uh, i mean asbestos is is something that we've all known about for ages we're told from very very young that if you see anything that even looks remotely like asbestos don't hit it with a hammer uh, never mind pour it all over yourself with other bodily uh, powders so yeah it's it's such a strange thing um I, I, what's your take on it Steve? how do you feel about it I think I try and separate out a couple of issues here. So it felt like from the article I read, there's two separate questions we might want to ask ourselves. One, is this illegal uh, from Johnson & Johnson? And the answer appears to be no. Uh, it appears to be a, a legitimate move. Um, the other answer, is, the other question, I guess, is, is this something that's morally okay on a kind of ESG? You called them one of the most evil companies in the world. Is this the activity of one of the most evil companies in the world? And the answer is arguably yes. Um this kind of legal loop is there to protect companies from basically farcical or exploitative torts uh, against them. It's designed to protect them when they're being exploited, not when to prevent them from paying out what ought to be their obligations, basically. Um, and if that's a system that can be exploited in the way that Johnson & Johnson have, or seem to have, uh, I should say, uh, that's a worry in this kind of system, I think, quite a bit. Um, the two billion is covering, I believe, 22 lawsuits uh, out of their kind of 38,000 or so. Uh, I believe it is a Missouri law that, um, or a uh, ruling, sorry, that awarded two billion in uh, compensation. It was brought down, I think, from uh, 4.69 billion. But uh, yeah, LTL is being equipped with enough cash to deal with that and then to disappear, from what I can see of it, uh, which makes me. Uh, sad and worried. I would be interested to see what Johnson & Johnson's ESG score is following that appalling game that I came up with the other week. Uh, probably about a 1,000. But um, overall, this is suspicious-looking stuff, even if it is legally above board, I guess. Yeah, that's 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 essentially my thoughts as well. I think I don't 
have a problem with um, with companies making mistakes. I think that's not anybody can make a mistake. I think that's 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 fair enough. And uh, even companies of that size, things can get swept under the cap that perhaps shouldn't be. But when you're found to have made that mistake, then the right thing to do is to just pay compensation, and uh, that would destroy Johnson and Johnson's um, balance sheet. And that's the problem they have, isn't it? Essentially, is that they, it'll absolutely destroy the company. So they have to. They have to try and stop that happening from a <laughs> from a shareholder point of view. Um, but yeah, I just think it's 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 just evil, really. But um, there's not really an awful lot we can do about it, other than say, you know, that we we hope that they rethink it. Really, that it needs funding. And the the issue, I guess, is that ovarian cancer is a particularly nasty form of cancer, and thus attracts a very high level of compensation. So, um, how many, how many cases was it? 30, do you say 3,200, 32,000? I said 38,000 lawsuits is what I've 38,000, 38,000 is a lot of money to be paying out in million dollar lawsuits. Yeah, it is. Um, so your point about there being things that go wrong, even in a company of that size, I just had a quick look on Finviz. Uh, they think J and J have around 134,000 employees. Um, in a, any collection of 134,000 people, there's bound to be someone who's either making a mistake or up to no good uh, somewhere along the way. So these things definitely happen, right? And the bigger the industry is, I get that you have a CEO and so on, but they can't be expected to oversee 134,000 people. They might be um, reasonably expected to like watch out for asbestos and stuff. Uh, that might be kind of within their kind of remit. Um, but look, mm. it's a big company. It's hard to oversee things. No one uh, particularly... Uh, finds making mistakes unforgivable uh the question then is how you respond to them and this looks i guess disappointing uh is the way we would put this yeah i'd agree all right let's get on to something more positive let's finish where we started shall we uh bristol myers squib um bristol myers squib is on the buy uh rather than giving all their money away in lawsuits they're off going and buying something what are they buying steve uh, they're looking at buying Orinia Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. Um, they're a smallish biotech company, um, 3.9 billion um, market cap, or, or at least that's the uh, that's the value that Squibb are putting forward. Um, it looks like a pretty interesting um, company. They, they basically specialize in um, autoimmune disorders and um, uh, it was nephritis, wasn't it? And it was a, a kidney disorder as well, so... Um, yeah, pretty interesting. I thought it was a, a quite interesting approach. I don't think they've got anything that I didn't spot any drugs on, on the market that I actually that had actually made it through um, FDA clearance yet. I saw a lot of things in sort of phase two or late phase two. Um, but did anything jump out at you as being this particularly large? So I was reading an analyst report. I could only find one uh, on this, but the the general message was that this is quite a desirable move from Bristol Myers, uh, based on the usual things that we consider here. So, number one, how much are they paying? Number two, what are they getting for it? And number three, what can they do by feeding that into their kind of company? Um, so, what kind of synergies can they extract like this? Uh, so, the lupus thing, um, the nephritis drug. I was looking at the analyst calling sales likely to peak at around 1.5 billion. Uh, in revenues and if you think they're paying uh, three and a bit for that it's sort of between two and three times sales that doesn't seem like something crazy uh, Bristol Myers of course well known for having a good infrastructure for these kind of things their margins we saw is pretty strong uh, there might be some decent kind of bottom line uh, move on that the interesting thing I saw here decent R&D synergies as well going on 
Bristol Myers mainly flat on the news or in here up um, quite high. One thing that I was interested in is uh, the analyst I was looking at said this looks like a good deal. Main question they had was, is anyone else going to try and barge in and steal this? Uh, because that could go slightly hmm. higher, they were reckoning. For most of these companies, it's a fraction of the free cash flow, isn't it? So uh, four billion is a worthwhile bet on something if you think that they have a drug that you can get to market. Um, you would quite easily recoup that money, and anything you make on top of that is a bonus. Push you get all the other stuff in the in the pipeline, which um, you know has a far better chance of getting through the FDA um, with a big company backing it than it would do um, with a little company backing it. So Scrub's very good at this kind of thing. They're very good at getting drugs through. They have a very, very good pipeline. They have a lot of companies that they they work in tandem with. Um, mm. They don't always buy everybody. They will quite often say, you know, we'll have 20% of your equity. Here's the money. Go and finish your drug. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and come back to us. There's quite a lot of that going around. So um, I don't think Squib is, well, we, we know Squib is not particularly short of cash. They're very, very good. Uh, acquisitions and they've got a lot better under Coforio. So um, I think it's all really, really positive for me. And uh, Squibb's actually reacted fairly positively. It's been a bit of a downward spiral. Um, I think I saw it was up about 1% today, which is which is fairly positive for us. Um, <laughs> I bought a little bit more. Uh, I bought five five more shares to add to the pile. Um, I think it's a really, I think it's, it's such a strange company because it's got, for the three of us, uh, when Paul's back, it's got obviously the dividend um, for Paul, it's the value for you, and it's the growth for me. So it's, it's strange that it ticks all of those boxes. But, yeah, I, I'm really excited for its future. But I've been excited for its future before. I've been here before. When, this, when the Cell Gene merger was first announced, I was I was all over it. I was going to say like a tramp on chips, but I'm not sure if you're allowed to say that. Um, but it just, it's, it's, never, um, it's never kicked on. And, and, I mean, you can see the differences in its finances. You look at its finances recently, and it's just... You just need to... I think just people need to take stock. It's, it, it's, it's price has to go up soon because otherwise it's going to be trading at a PE of about five. Yep. <laughs> uh, of course, it didn't make money last year, so maybe they're just waiting for its PE to come through here a little bit. But hmm. a, a couple of things, I guess, to take away from your comments there, uh, one of which I think is dead on and one of which I think is weird. Uh, so here's the thing that I think is weird. Uh, I, you wondering about whether or not you can say like a tramp on chips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> normally, this late on when everyone's logged off. <laughs> well, normally you and I don't really care what we say because whatever we say, Paul will say something worse. That's pretty much a given. Uh, so we have a pretty clear idea of where the line is and we're nowhere near it because Paul's currently pushing it further and further into the distance usually, <laughs> uh, which is either costing us views or generating views. We'll see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the other bit that I thought was dead on uh, rather than the bit that was weird, your point about... Um, uh, management here being important uh, with all these kind of mega cap companies it actually I was thinking increasingly doesn't really matter whether you're talking about Berkshire Hathaway or whether you're talking about Bristol Myers Squibb or whether you're talking about Amazon or even whether you're talking about Google these are all wildly different companies but they're all massive and they basically all work in the same way their job is to try and generate cash and use cash and it's true with the smaller companies as well but with the bigger companies you more or less have kind of three or four options four if you're a, a, a healthcare pharma company like bristol myers in no particular order you can either take your cash and dividend it out again you can either take your cash and buy back shares in your own company you can either um you can try and take your cash and use it to fund your own internal r d or you can take your cash and use it to go and buy something uh and increasingly what you're looking for here 
is management that can do a good job of acquiring things. And I know the management at Merck is quite highly rated. I know the management at Roche is quite highly rated. And I know the management at Bristol Myers strikes us as uh, pretty strong. You said, especially under Caforio, they're making a number of interesting kind of acquisitions. And that's basically true wherever you are, effectively. If you're Berkshire Hathaway, you have to go and look around for stuff to buy with all this cash you've got or try and dividend it back out again. Same is true at Amazon. Same is true at Google. Uh, All of these things need a kind of cash generating engine. And then it really comes down to how well management can do something that will move what is in all of those cases quite a hard needle to move at this point. Yeah. Um, We saw how hard it was to move the needle for Biogen. Biogen is now back where it started again from what I last saw of it. It's around 265 or so. Uh, trading, which is pretty much where it was before its Alzheimer drug got uh, approved. So that moved the needle uh, in the shape of a needle pretty much straight up and straight down again, which is the way that often works. But it does tell you exactly how difficult it is to move these kind of things. Uh, they trade on low PEs, these kind of big pharma companies. There's a pretty good reason why they do that. It's not easy to move these things forward. But what you're, batting on, uh, what you're betting on there, sorry, is management kind of getting this stuff right uh, well enough. It's generally what we've always said about pharma companies is that as an industry, they get to a certain point and they become incredibly acquisitive because there's no organic growth left. Um, and what they're trying to do is there's only so many drugs that you can you can research. There's more and more laboratories have to be built to, to continue researching different things. So you generally become more acquisitive because it's easier for you to just buy something at phase two and phase three rather than start something at phase one. Um, so what you're relying on with these companies is that they have um, – a very good acquisition team now from the things we've seen i mean Celgene straight off the bat was just packed with blockbuster drugs um you know that that could become one of the best value deals uh, around us especially at the time though it was a big acquisition at 74 billion and i had it at 72 so that's a hell that was a really big acquisition back in the time especially for a company like bristol Myers squib which was seen to have not a lot of ambition um so yeah, and um, even Myocardia for uh, somebody, a company that doesn't have, an, I don't think it has any drugs actually, actually for sale at the moment. It was a, it was a fairly big acquisition for ten billion, I think it was, off the top of my head. So you know, Bristol-Myers-Squid is making the right kind of moves. We're excited to see the drugs that are coming out. I mean, that pipeline is one of the most exciting pipelines I've ever seen. They've got pipelines full of phase three drugs um, that some of the other um, companies don't have in their full pipeline. So I think off the top, the last time I looked, it was 48 drugs in phase three. That's a big pipeline, you know, even if that was phase one, two and three, never mind them all being up for uh, being up for approval. So, yeah, very exciting. I uh, I just I, I'm just impatient. I just can't wait to see it get moving. Yeah, I'm not sure you count as impatient. You've been holding it for about, what, four years or so now? That's reasonably patient by anyone's standards. <laughs> There's only so long a man can exist by collecting squibbidens. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, I'm waiting for Merry Squibsmas. So. <laughs> Merry Squibsmas is coming. Um, Merry Squibsmas. Uh, join us in however many months, to, well, probably about two months' time or so for our special Christmas edition of the Playing Footsie Show. But we're here every week. Paul will be back next time, uh, we think, hopefully, anyway. Um, mm. Thank you all for joining us for our special Halloween uh, edition. Um, without Paul, we do our best. We try and hang on in there. We try. Uh, Steve did very well on a game. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast do give us a like on whatever you're listening to us on uh, subscribe on YouTube Spotify Apple Amazon uh, sorry Audible uh, wherever you get your podcasting from um, and thank you all very much for listening we will see you next time